0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. This morning in connection with Lord's Day 36 and 37, dealing with the Third Commandment, we have a number of Scripture readings. First of all, Psalm 99. The Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the caribbean let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. The King is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity. In Jacob, you have done what is just and right. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of cloud. They kept his statutes and the decrees he gave them. O Lord, our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God, though you punished their misdeeds. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain. For the Lord our God is holy. Now we turn to the New Testament, to John 12, where we'll read verses 20 to 36. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves Me must follow Me. And where I am, My servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves Me. Now My heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save Me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify Your name! Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death He was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may become sons of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. And then finally we go to the letter to the Romans, chapter 2, verses 17-24. to Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know His will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. This morning we consider the truths of God's Word as they have been summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 36. And we'll also read Lord's Day 37. What is required in the third commandment? We are not to blaspheme or to abuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths, nor to share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. Rather, we must use the holy name of God only with fear and reverence, so that we may rightly confess Him, call upon Him, and praise Him in all our words and works. Is the blaspheming of God's name by swearing and cursing such a grievous sin that God is angry also with those who do not prevent and forbid it as much as they can? Certainly. For no sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than the blaspheming of His name. That is why He commanded it to be punished with death. Then Lord's Day 37, but may we swear an oath in the name of God in a godly manner? Yes, when the government demands it of its subjects or when necessity requires it in order to maintain and promote fidelity and truth to God's glory and for our neighbor's good. Such oath-taking is based on God's Word and was therefore rightly used by saints in the Old and the New Testament. May we also swear by saints or other creatures? No. A lawful oath is a calling upon God, who alone knows the heart, to bear witness to the truth and to punish me if I swear falsely. No creature is worthy of such honor. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, blaspheming and abusing the name of God something that the world does. I think I have to tell you that many people in North America use the word God or the name of Jesus Christ as an exclamation mark. If people believed in God, if they believed in Christ as much as they used His name, Canada would be a very devout nation. As it is, all this misuse and abuse of God's name is a tragic symptom of unbelief. God has become irrelevant to many people in the world. And if you object to someone's misuse of his name, as I'm sure many of you have done, you might get an apology, but you'll invariably also get an excuse. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean anything by that. I I just say it without thinking about it. That's what happens in the world. Sometimes... It happens in the church too. If you spend a lot of time watching movies, TV shows, or even reading books which take the Lord's name in vain, you can become desensitized to this sin. no longer bothers you. You might even start taking over this kind of language. And sometimes, supposedly Christian authors are no better. One can even encounter a lack of respect for God's name and many so-called Christian books, fiction and nonfiction. And that adds to our becoming insensitive to this sin, a sin which our catechism says, the Bible says, is grievous. Sin which God commanded to be punished with death in the Old Testament. Yes, we can also end up breaking the third commandment. Our catechism very clearly teaches us from the scriptures how wrong that is. But the catechism also goes in another direction, and that's the direction we want to look at in more detail this morning. It's the direction mentioned in, in question answer 99. Rather, we must use the holy name of God only with fear and reverence so that we may rightly confess him, call upon him, and praise him in all our words and works. This is what we must do according to the third word of the covenant. And so this morning, apart from what I just said, we're not really concerned with the way the world misuses God's name. We're concerned with how the church should bring honor to His name. We want to hear from God's word about the calling that we have as believers to use His name and to use it rightly as part of our thankfulness for the Gospel. So I preached to you God's Word, summarized in the Catechism, with this theme, God calls us to the right use of His holy name. We'll consider the perfect obedience to this calling, the privilege of this calling, its responsibility, and then finally, the purpose of this calling. As we look at the Ten Commandments section in the Catechism, there are two important things that we have to keep in mind. The first is that this section is about our thankfulness for the good news of Jesus Christ. We have a wonderful salvation in Him. Much to be thankful for. The second is that our thankfulness is also part of the good news. For it too is Christ's work in us? When we are thankful, that is Christ working in us and also for us. And it's to Christ that we have to look when we speak about the perfect obedience to the calling to use God's name rightly. Here too, brothers and sisters, fix your eyes on Jesus. In John 12, passage we read a few moments ago, we see our Savior right before his suffering and death, we see him with a troubled heart. He knew what he had to do. He knew that he was called to suffer and to die. He knew that he was going to take God's wrath on himself. That he was going to swallow hell for God's people, God's elect. Faced with that prospect, who wouldn't have a troubled heart? Then he says out loud, so that his disciples could hear, shall I ask the Father to turn all this away from me? No. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour, he says. And then he adds, Father, glorify Your name. At that precise moment, Christ was concerned with God's glory and His honor, His reputation. God's voice from heaven recognized this concern as perfect obedience. God said, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. We could expand that through You Jesus, I have glorified it, and through You, Jesus, I will glorify it again. Through the life of Christ, and especially through His suffering and death, God's name was being made much of. Being glorified and honored. Being rightly used. And why was that voice from heaven heard? Christ said it in verse 30, John 12, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. You see, it's to our advantage to hear the confirmation from heaven that Christ was perfectly obedient to the third commandment. Why? Because as the Belgic Confession puts it in article 23, His obedience is ours when we believe in Him. This is sufficient to cover all our iniquities and to give us confidence in drawing near to God, freeing our conscience of fear, terror, and dread. According to Romans 4.24, God will credit all the righteousness of Christ to us. To us who believe. And that includes His obedience to the third commandment. And so, there's good news for sinners here this morning. You have a perfect Savior who has taken all your sins on Himself. A perfect Savior who has put all of His righteousness on you. You may have failed miserably when it comes to this commandment. Perhaps you've taken God's name in vain in some way. Perhaps you haven't prevented it and forbidden it as much as you can. You have a Savior who's done it all for you. You're forgiven by looking to Him in faith, by seeking refuge in His blood. And when we ponder that, when we reflect on how wonderful that is, love and thankfulness can't help but flow forward. As a fruit of our union with Him, we earnestly desire to follow God's law, including the third commandment. And we become even more thankful when we consider the privilege involved in our calling to use His name. You know, when a, a baby is born, sometimes, sometimes the parents spend a lot of time thinking about the name for the child. More often than not, at least in our culture, a name is chosen because it sounds nice and or because it doesn't remind the parents of someone they don't want to think about. Occasionally, a child receives a name or names which are important in the family. Very seldom in our culture are names chosen because of their meaning. However, in the Scriptures, we find something completely different from what we know. In the Bible, names are full of significance. They're pregnant with significance. Think only of the name of Jesus. Saviour. And what is true of the Son is also true of the triune God. When we study the Bible, we find that we learn new things about God, His nature, His character, with each new name that He reveals. put it differently, God names Himself for who, and what He is and does. So often in the Bible, God and His name... are are things that easily glide over into one another. They're exchangeable. And the best example of this is the covenant name of God, Yahweh. I am who I am. God is the One who is self-existing. He doesn't depend on anyone else for His existence. The name Yahweh reveals who God is. And therefore, to abuse or to misuse the name of God is to abuse God Himself, or to try to at any rate. It's to say that God is nothing, that God is a mere breath, that not only is He not self-existing, He barely exists at all. He's a spiritual marshmallow. Our catechism says that we must use the holy name of God. In other words, we are commanded to use His name. And that we may and we must use His name is clear throughout the Bible. Just look at what we read from Psalm 99. In that psalm, God's covenant name, Yahweh, It's used seven times. Every time you see the Lord, the name Lord with all capital letters, capital L-O-R-D, that's Yahweh in Hebrew. Seven times in Psalm 99. It's one of the most striking features of this psalm. And it's a beautiful thing that Israel could use God's name in worship. When they used His name, then they could also know who they were worshiping. Today we can do the same. God doesn't leave us in the dark as to His identity. We don't worship an unknown God like the Athenians did in Acts 17, Mars Hill. We pray to Him and we sing to Him. We have His names to show us who He is as well as to show us what He's done. We know that God is the rock. He is our shepherd. He is our King. He is our Creator. He is our Redeemer. We can go on and on piling up these names. And we can and we must use these names. And we do that because they give us a clear picture of who our God is. It could be a helpful exercise for you this week to look through the Scriptures and to catalog All the different names that you can find that God uses to reveal Himself. At home in my study, I have a a book with over eight pages of different names that the Bible uses for God. Eight pages. See, God very clearly reveals Himself through His names. And so rightly using God's name is a privilege because we're involved here with God Himself. We learn more about who He is in relation to us. That also becomes clear out of Psalm 99. This whole psalm exalts God and portrays Him as the King of the whole universe. And especially, God's holiness is underlined there in that psalm. God is radically different from those who are under His reign. At this point, David is directly addressing Yahweh. He says, Let them praise Your great and awesome name. He is holy. David expresses his wish that all the peoples would be impressed with God. That they would all praise Yahweh's great and revered name. Here too we see that Yahweh and His name are virtually the same thing. And our, our Bible translation says He is holy, but in other translations you will, you'll find it is holy. Either is possible. But it is holy seems more likely given the context. God's name, like God himself, is holy. It's been set apart, right? That's what holy means. Set apart from common use. God's people, they, they may and they must use it, but never in a cavalier way. Again, just look at how Psalm 99 speaks about God. This whole psalm is dripping with what the catechism calls fear and reverence. There's an awe for God. It's recognized that the use of God's name is something special. It's a privilege. Through holy baptism... We're even more privileged because we have been called with God's name. For each and every one of us that has been baptized, we're here at the front of this church or other, another church. God placed his sign and seal on us, but he also placed his name on us. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel, the people of God, rather, were called Israel. The name means something like God persists. An L on the end of Israel, E-L, is God in Hebrew. Today in the New Covenant, the church is still the Israel of God. But we are more commonly known as Christians. Christians are those who have been named with Christ. When we say that we are Christians, we are privileged to carry the name of Christ. The name of the Son of God, the King of the universe, is ours to, to hold forth and cherish. And we can and we must speak about Him among ourselves, with our families, and, and also with others, including unbelievers. See, what a great privilege and honor it is to be able to use God's name and also to have it identified with us. Us who are sinners. It's a matter of God's grace. God gives us His name. Puts His name on us. He gives us Himself. And who are we to deserve that? And that's why it's such a serious sin for us not to use His name rightly. We are slapping Him in the face, saying that we don't accept His name as a gift. That He is not worthy of our awe and respect. And so the the recognition of the privilege of using God's name leads us to also consider the immense responsibility And that's especially outlined in the second half of Answer 99. We're to use His name only with fear and reverence. Now, some of us might hear that and say, well, that seems simple enough. But did you ever consider that it's possible to misuse God's name without even saying it? Let's take one example out of church history. In 1834, in the Netherlands, there was a break, a split in the Netherlands Reformed Church, the State Church of the Netherlands. Sometimes we call that the 1834 Secession, or afscheiding in Dutch. That secession took place because the old state church had clearly become the false church. Things were so bad that Bible knowledge was virtually non-existent. The name of John Calvin, closely connected with the history of the Reformed churches, was hardly known in the Reformed churches. Reformed ministers subscribed to the Reformed confessions without ever having seen them, let alone having carefully studied them. One minister, a Reformed minister, even said publicly, I would rather hang myself than read the Canons of Dort. Those same ministers, they used their pulpits to attack the doctrine of the Trinity. They attacked the atonement. They attacked the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And these attacks were often accompanied by much kidding around and joking. One of the worst instances was a minister who, while he was administering the sacrament, he made fun of the Lord's Supper and what it signifies. Standing at the front of the church, front of the table of the Lord, he made a crude joke about the body and blood of Jesus Christ even though he didn't mention the name of God, that was still grievous sin against the third commandment. The third commandment has as part of its meaning that we never, ever mock or joke about spiritual things, but holy things. And when we have discussions about spiritual things, sometimes things do break down to the point of joking about those who disagree with us. Or maybe we try to lighten things up a little bit with some joking. Sometimes, especially on the Internet, jokes circulate, which use the holy name of God. Many who claim to be Christians somehow think they're more spiritual if their jokes are about Christian things. Loved ones, God didn't give us His name so that we could have some entertainment with it. That we could get a few good guffaws out of it. Rather, our responsibility is to use it rightly. And that means only with fear and reverence. And not only His name, but also everything associated with it. So, loved ones, let joking with the name of God or holy things such as Christian doctrine, the holy sacraments, or the holy Scriptures, let those kinds of things never be heard from our lips. We have a responsibility to show God respect with the way we use His name and His revelation. But this responsibility not only pertains to what comes out of our mouths, Arcadianism also speaks about the responsibility to praise God with all our words and works. There are a few instances in the Bible, both the Old and New Testament, where God's people were said to blaspheme God by their actions. One of these instances was in our reading from Romans 2, particularly verse 24, right at the end. as it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. There's quotation marks around that. Paul seems to be alluding here to a couple of Old Testament passages to Isaiah 52 and to Ezekiel 36. Here he's addressing an imaginary Jewish reader. Paul noticed that the people who were named with God's name were making a a joke out of him. The Jews made God look like a joke. It was Israel's calling to set apart God's name by faithfulness and so to promote His glory. But instead, they were actually causing the name of God to be dishonored and to be made fun of. Something was drastically wrong. God's covenant people were blaspheming their Creator and Redeemer. Does this ever happen today? We would be kidding ourselves if we thought that it didn't. The world knows what the church stands for and who the church stands for. And so when the world sees the church publicly failing, the world is confirmed in its thinking that God is irrelevant. That God is, like I said before, a marshmallow. Not to be taken seriously. Think about it. We have a responsibility to lift up the name of God, to rightly confess Him to everyone. And when we are exposed in public as hypocrites, we're failing in that responsibility. Now we're all weak and we're all prone to sin. It can happen that the church and its members, they fail and they, they are humbled in this. And then we're reminded again that the only essential difference between those in heaven and those in hell will be Jesus Christ. We're reminded again of the reason why we must take our responsibility seriously. Because we have such a great Savior. We have such a great salvation for which to be thankful. We've been redeemed from sin so that we would pursue a higher purpose. Let's now consider that in our in our last point. And so what really is the third commandment about? Of course, it's about God and the glory of His name. And I think it's true that we can pray so often for God's glory that the word can become another part of our jargon. A word that we never really give a lot of thought to. So what does the Bible really mean? when it speaks about God's glory. well, we can come to a better understanding by looking at the third commandment itself. In the Hebrew, it literally says, you shall not lift up the name of Yahweh your God for worthless. Worthless. You could also say lightness or even vanity. And the opposite of this is something that is heavy. And actually, the Hebrew word for glory is also a word that means heavy, weighty. In Isaiah 6, verse 3, Isaiah hears the voice of the seraphs, those special angels, calling to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Literally, the whole earth is full of His heaviness. Heaviness. So God is heavy, so to speak. That's why God calls us to the right use of His holy name. That's the high purpose of this calling. To glorify God. To magnify and amplify His reputation. We're called to make sure that everyone knows, starting with ourselves, that God is not someone to be trifled with has to be taken seriously. And again that's why we have to be so careful when we speak about God and we speak about spiritual things. And in this respect, let me just mention one more thing. Sometimes the, the world will use the word "Hallelujah" rather frivolously. You see it especially when Handel's Hallelujah chorus is used on commercials of different sorts. hallelujah means praise Yahweh. Hallel is Hebrew for praise. And Yah, J-A-H, is a short form of Yahweh. When we use that expression without awe and reverence, we're not glorifying God. In fact, we're breaking the third commandment. So loved ones, I urge you, do not say hallelujah unless you really mean it with awe and respect. Because otherwise you're not meeting the purpose for which God has given His name. He gave us His name for us to use it rightly, for us to praise Him in sincerity. And all of this so as to bring glory to Himself so that everyone will be impressed with God and recognize that He is not a lightweight. God is to be taken very seriously. And so, loved ones, you're called and even commanded to use the name of your God. It is a gift of grace bestowed upon you through the suffering and blood of our Lord Jesus. The Lord God has called you with the name that is above every name. And now He calls you to use His name with awe and reverence so that the world will know that there is a God. And He is relevant. He is holy. And He's glorious. He calls you to praise Him with all your words and works so that He will receive the glory due to Him that men everywhere will bow before Him. Let's pray. Lord God, Yahweh in heaven, our rock, our refuge, our shepherd, we are grateful for the gift of Your Son and for His perfect obedience for us. We thank You that He glorified Your name perfectly and still does. More than that, we thank You that You give His obedience to us. O God, fill us to overflowing with thankfulness and love for this Gospel of our Lord Jesus. More and more, unite us to Him through faith so that our lives would bear the fruit of Your Spirit. Please teach us so that we would see the privilege of using Your name and that we would exercise that privilege in a responsible way, a way that leads to glory for You, a way that makes much of You before the church and the world. Grant that we would always use Your name with fear and reverence. We pray that Your name would never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. And through Christ, we seek Your forgiveness for the times that has happened. And we ask You to lead us with Your Spirit in new ways of faithfulness. Please hear us in Christ our Lord. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.